a billion clearance. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a story for the ages. It's kind of one of those stories like the, the Hatfields and the McCoys, but this story took place in Louisiana. Now, Billy and Clarence, they lived on a bayou, and they lived across the water from one another. And each and every day, because they were mortal enemies, they would go out to the edge of the water, and they would yell nasty things to one another over the water. Billy would say, Clarence was dumb, and Clarence would claim Billy was dumber, you know, and this would go on uh, all the time. It seemed like every day, day in and day out, even their wives got into shouting matches with one another over the water. Well, finally, Billy would end the conversation most of the time by saying something like this, Clarence, if I had a way across the bayou, I'd come down there and beat you up good. Well, this went in on day in, day out for years. And then lo and behold, one day, people from the big city came and they had their fancy machinery and they built a bridge across the bayou right next to Billy's house. And it ended right next to Clarence's place. Well, Billy's wife, Francine, came to him and said, you know, Billy, you and Clarence have been talking and yelling at one another for years. You done said you'd go over there and beat Clarence up if you ever had a way across the bayou and now you do, get going. Well, Billy thought about it. He said, you know, you're right, hon. I'm going to march right on over there, and I'm going I'm to beat him up. Well, uh, he began to do it. He headed that way. He started to walk across the bridge, but he got about halfway, and he just stopped dead in his tracks and paused for a moment, and he turned around. Well, Francine was watching this whole thing go on, and she's kind of upset about it. She met him as he got back uh, off, the, off the bridge, and she said, why'd you turn back? Why didn't you go over there and beat him up like you said you would? He looked at her and said, I done come across a sign that said, Clarence, 10 foot, 6 inches. He never looked that big when I yelled at him across the bayou. You know, it's easy to talk big when you look at someone across the bayou. But it's a whole other story when you face the enemy face to face. And when you come to the, to the place when you realize that, you know what, they're a lot bigger than you really thought. Changes your perspective, doesn't it? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have a story that is so well known, it was even mentioned this past week in the preaching. It's a story about David and Goliath. And we know the story well because, well, you've heard it. If you've been in church all your life, if you were in church like I was, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've heard the story of David and Goliath in a Sunday school lesson as a child. I couldn't even remotely guess how many times I've heard it preached. In fact, I've preached on 1 Samuel chapter 17 before, but as I was thinking about the week of meetings, and I was thinking about, as I normally like to do after a time when we've been challenged by the Word of God on a daily basis, I like to take some time and to preach on something that will be helpful for God's people. Uh, maybe just some, something about how to, how to live for God and how to serve God and how to, how to walk with God now. Because a lot of times, preaching and revival kind of says, hey, get your life right with God, and here's what you need. And the message last Sunday night on holiness was very, very powerful to think about who, who God is and, and the holiness of God and then contemplate who we are. Well, sometimes we preach on those things, and then we don't help people afterwards. We kind of just say, hey, God is a holy God live like it. Well, we should. And we should be touched deeply by what we hear, but, but we also need to know what to do next. 
and we need to know how to change. And so many times after a revival, if you didn't know this, if you've been coming for a while, you should know this, after a revival, we'll preach a message, maybe on Colossians 4, 3 or Ephesians chapter 4 or some other scripture that talks about how to live life now. And as I was pondering and thinking about that, that matter and wanting to go that direction this morning, um, the story of David and Goliath came to mind. And again, you've heard it preached perhaps many times. You've heard it uh, shared as, as an exciting story as a child. But the story of David and Goliath is a story about overcoming giants in life. It's, it's about learning to win the victory over things that are bigger than you are. And the truth is we all face things that are bigger than we are. In fact, a lot of times, when we hear preaching from the Word of God and we get challenged about it, if we make a decision, it's quite honestly, it's, it's like facing a giant, if you would. And so this morning, I'd like to just dig into this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and look at the life of David and see some things about him uh, that I hope will be of great help to you. I have been helped many times from this passage. In fact, I, as I was uh, talking with Dr. Bear, he when he brought up uh, David and Goliath, and when I saw the, the, the passage mentioned in one of the sheets that he handed out, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, I was kind of a little bit concerned because I was already leaning toward going this direction. So I said, you know, how much are you going to talk about David and Goliath uh, this week? So we were good, all right? Didn't have to sweat it out too much, you know? <laughs> and I'm thankful for that because uh, then I would have had to come up with something else. But um, we also, I mentioned something to uh, Dr. Bear because one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that every year at college, every year at college, Pastor Bob Taylor would speak a message on 1 Samuel chapter 17. And he would talk about slaying the giants of life. And, um, and he said he had 10 steps of a giant killer. And I think that's a good way maybe even to put it. Um, and it was a very practical message. And it was helpful. It was helpful to college students. But quite honestly... Uh, something like that in this passage and what we find from David is helpful today to everyone, no matter what your age is. And it's not just the exciting story of David and Goliath, but it's that, that God used a young man to slay and win the victory over a giant that was far greater than humanly he had the ability to win over. And so today, uh, let's learn about slaying the giants of life. And I hope that you will make the application to your life today from the example that we find in David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And since I don't want Dr. Bear to show me up, because he handed out sheets all the time, um, I have an outline for you if you'd like it. I don't normally do this, but since I'm preaching it this morning and I'm going to preach it again this evening as we look through a number of principles that we can learn for life, um, I thought you might want to have it so you could uh, go back over 1 Samuel chapter 17 on your own this week. Read through the story and ponder his life. And my challenge is this. I think I have 11 things, so I went over, Pastor Taylor. There you go. Just, just want, want you to know that. I should send him a little note saying I have more than you have, all right? I think I have 11 points or something to that effect. You're counting them now, aren't you? A, B, C, D, E, F. All right, there you go. So... Oh, I got 12. Man, see? Wow, two more. All right. Oh, like what, 20% more? Okay. Um, are you impressed? Uh, you may come up with more things as you read through the story. 
Um, the goal is not to, to win the contest, um, but the goal is to learn how to battle effectively for God. Now, listen, here's the truth. Whether you were in church all this past week or not, 1 Samuel 17 is an important message for you. Whether or not you have been saved for a short period of time or a long period of time, you need to learn to face giants in life because the truth is you will face them. I don't know what form they're going to come in, but you will face giants in life. You will have difficulties you need to face. And you need wisdom from God. And God gives us some tremendous lessons here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to pick up, if you would, in verse 19. I'm only going to read a portion of it this morning. Uh, and hopefully it will be a good number of the verses that we're going to be able to look at. But the Bible says in verse 19, as uh, we pick up in kind of in the middle of the story, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not? And indeed, there was. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes, our minds, our hearts this morning that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Help us, Father, to make the connection this morning between David and our own lives, to understand that there is a God in heaven that's bigger than our problems and that there are things that we need to be doing today that will prepare us for the battles to come in life. I pray, Lord God, that there would be some giant killers in this room, that this week there would be a measure of victory that's found in believers uh, from preaching maybe this past week and decisions made, that this might just be a week of victory, whether someone was in the meetings or not, as, as people learn that there is, a, uh, there is a God who's able and a God who will empower, and as we learn what God expects of us. And so uh, today we need your help. We ask for your understanding. We pray that you'd open our eyes to behold the wondrous truth of your law, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, before we get into the, the 12 things that I have, all right, from the Word of God in David's life, I want to first share with you how to connect with the story or connecting with the story. Because sometimes I think we can come to an Old Testament passage like this and say, I don't have any physical giants I have to face like that. There's no one I'm going to be, at least I'm not planning to, you know, beat up on anyone this week. I'm not planning to go across the bayou and meet Clarence this week, all right? I don't have any physical giants that necessarily I will face in my life. So how can the life of David and how can I connect the truths that we find in this passage with my life? That is a very fair question, and it's one that actually the Bible answers. Do you realize that we are share, God shares with us in this passage a number of feelings, emotions, and attitudes that the people had toward the giant that are very real in the giants that you and I face in our lives today, and not necessarily even physical giants like Goliath happened to be. Now, the scene is laid out for us here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we didn't read all the verses. So let me kind of give you and get you to the connection, all right? In verse 1, we find that Israel was going to battle with the longtime enemy, the Philistines. Obviously, Goliath was one of them. Now, this actually happened numerous times in their history. You can read about it throughout the Old Testament. You'll find the Philistines invading the land or Israel going against the Philistines all the time. I mean, it seems like that was their arch enemy, you know, their, arch, their nemesis or whatever you want to put it. They were battling with the, the Philistine army all the time. Now, the specific location of the battle is given in verse 1. It was a so, Socho, Soko, or however you want to pronounce it, that belongeth to Judah. Now, uh, the picture is also given in verses 2 and 3, kind of a visual picture because they show or talk about the army of Israel being on one mountain, the armies of the Philistines being on another mountain, and a valley in between. Now, you know that from all those pictures, right, that they used to put up on the flannel graph. Now, we don't have flannel graphs anymore, but the flannel graph where, you know, the teacher would have this whole group of people, and she'd put it up on one side, and they're on this mountain, and then she would put the group of the Philistines on the other side, and there were these, the valley in between. And we always talk about that because that's the visual picture we get, but it's the visual picture God gives us in verses 2 and 3 in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 3, and the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. See, so any teacher ever taught you that is teaching you directly the word of God. All right, wow, that's profound. I know you're impressed with that. Now, it's an interesting note to, to maybe be gleaned or at least known about this passage. Battles in that day were fought in different, kind of different way than we we. we would fight them today. They had skirmishes so that um, battles would go on for days on end and armies would be encamped and they'd have their places and they would come out and they would fight and they would fight during the day during a certain time and then they would go back to their camp. It's kind of like that's just the way it was. That's how warfare was in that day. So those things had been going on for a long time, and sometimes I don't think we realize that. We come to 1 Samuel 17, we just think, oh, David came in, he heard this guy, Goliath, stand up, and he did this. Well, let me, let me tell you that the Bible tells us this had been going on for 40 days. Goliath would come out in the morning, and he would present his challenge to the people, 
And then the armies would get together, they'd fight, then they'd go back to their places, and at the end of the day, Goliath would come back out and give the challenge again. Now, that was going on. Now, I don't remember teachers ever telling me that, but that was going on for 40 days, almost, what, six weeks, right? This has been going on for a long time, and, and this has been taking place day in and day out, morning and evening. He would come, and he would challenge the Israelites and call on one man to come out and fight him, and the result would determine who would serve who. Verses 8 and 9, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? And am not I a Philistine, and you servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, I got to tell you something. They had to be tired of this by then. This has been going on, again, 40 days, day in, day out, morning, night. Before the battles began, Goliath would come out, which is kind of funny because you think, well, then why were battles going on? I have no idea, but that's just the way it was. And at the end of the day, when they, when they all went, okay, it's 5 o'clock, quitting time, war's done for today, go back home, or go back to your, you know, to your encampment or whatever, then, then Goliath would come back out, and he would offer this challenge again. Now, that's nice and good, but what does a story about a battle thousands of years ago have to do with me? Again, we're not in a physical battle in our lives. But God does tell us in the New Testament that the Old Testament was written for our learning. So what do we learn about this, and what from this passage can give us hope? Well, let's connect with some of the things we find. Look in verse 11, because we just took you to verse 10, didn't we? And it says this, and when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. There we have a description of, if you would, the giants of life. Okay, first question to ask yourself is this, if you want to make a connection with David. Is there anything in life you fear? Is there anything in life that you fear? We're told in verse uh, 11, the last two words, they were afraid. And not just afraid, they were greatly afraid. Uh, it means they were wholly afraid. But this is really impressive, okay? They were terrified. I mean, they were just, they were shaking in the boot, their boots. They weren't just, again, it wasn't like, oh, man, this guy bothers us every day. He's coming out. No, they were afraid. In fact, if you look at verse 24, it says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, what did they do? They ran because they were here we have it again, sore, afraid. So here's a good question to ask yourself if you want to ask, ask, well, what connection do I have with David and Goliath and what, what does this story have for me? Is there anything that you face in life that you fear? If there is, there are principles you're going to learn from this story of Goliath because these people were very, very fearful. David wasn't. But if you fear things in life, if there are things that come up in, in your life that are, if you would, bigger than you and they cause fear in your life, then there is hope. If you have giants in your life, then you have a wonderful story here to learn from. Um, there are a lot of different fears we have in life that aren't necessarily, uh, if you would, physical giants like Goliath would have been, but there are a lot of things that people fear. People sometimes fear um, health problems feeling well, don't want to go to the doctor, but 
I think I need to. And then we get tests, and we may be very, very fearful. Some people may not even go and get the test. You know why? Because they're fearful. They're going to hear maybe something that they've, they've heard all, all their life or their family has had, and they just know that they probably have it themselves. Been there? Um, so your giant may not be some physical, imposing man like Goliath was. By the way, they estimate, uh, I mean, I've heard estimates all the way from 11 feet, 8 inches to, to all the way down to about 10 feet, but most agree that it was at least 10 feet or taller, this man. have no idea. I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I know basketball hoops are 10 feet high, and I couldn't imagine how massive this man must have been and how afraid, humanly, anyone would be to go against that guy. But the truth is, God uses this word fear to describe what was going on, and we can make a connection then to our own lives. Anything that we might fear in life. You know, some people fear their job situation. It may be your giant. Well, what's going to happen with my job? I don't know if, if I'm going to have a job next year. They're, they're laying off, or they're cutting back, or, or uh, you know, the business because of all the stuff that's been going on around our society hasn't been great at all, so looks like they're going to make changes. I don't know if I'm going to have a job. Maybe you got to, you fear your boss who's been giving you a hard time because you're a Christian. I don't know what fears you have in life, but here's the truth. If you have fears, you can learn from David and Goliath. And you can learn from this story because these people were greatly fearful and God answered and God took care of that fear. Now, we also learn another thing. Notice in verse 11, once again, they weren't only greatly afraid, but there's another word that's used there. Do you see it? The word is dismayed. Now, that word can mean terrified, but you know it also means discouraged. So I, have, I ask the question, is there anything that discourages you? Is there anything that, that's discouraging in life that you face? Um, have you ever been in a situation where you just were kind of, hey, discouraged about it because you tried and maybe you've tried and you tried and you tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to resolve it and just wasn't working. Nothing was happening. I got to think that this word dismayed uh, appropriately could be understood as discouraged because you got to imagine that day in and day out for 40 days, all right? Again, when I hear the story of David and Goliath, I think, oh, David comes, giant comes out, but this is going on day in and day out. You got to get tired of hearing this guy. There's Goliath again. Let's run. You know, oh, man, I just, I am so tired hearing this guy. They, these people were downright discouraged. So if you've ever been discouraged, you can learn uh, from, from the example of David and Goliath. Do you have problems that appear so big they kind of knock the wind out of your sails? You just kind of, I don't know what to do next. I, I, I tried, I, I, whatever, and I'm just, I'm just discouraged in the battle. You got obstacles that uh, living for, trying to live for God just keep, keep getting you down, then this story's for you. Do you know the word uh, dismayed as well in verse 11 also has been uh, uh, described or defined to be beat down? Have you ever felt? Uh, and is there anything that beats you down? You can put it that way. Is there anything that beats you down in life? Now, maybe that is related to our last point, discourages but what situation or matter keeps getting you down? What temptation do you face in life that always seems to beat you down? 
It's the thing that maybe God spoke to you this past week and you said, I am going to do something about that. I am going to strive to be holy. I am going to make this progress in my life. I am going to do this. I am going to work on this. God challenged me about this. And sometimes we come to those things and then, then it's like, man, we try and it just beats us down. And we're, we're discouraged. We're, we're defeated in our Christian life. Look, do you struggle with the giant of anger? Bitterness, fear. Do you struggle with uh, anything? Stealing, um, corrupt communication. I mean, there's so many different things that God talks about in his word that, that you know, maybe if you would, our arch nemesis, the thing that keeps, that keeps rearing its ugly head and we keep falling to it every time. And if that's the case, then the words that God used to describe the children of Israel describes what's going on in your life. And there is a connection you have between David and Goliath in your life. You can learn from him. Look in verse 25 of this passage. It says, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to what? Do you see it in verse 25? To defy Israel. Now you say, well, well what does that mean? And, and when he was defying Israel, what was he doing? Well, um, he was slandering them. Uh, are you being slandered, I put down, or is your reputation on the line? Ha, 40 days this has been going on. And you know, Goliath's been making fun of God during this time. And Goliath was praising his own gods. He cursed David by his gods, we learn a little bit later on. So this guy is ruining the reputation of the children of Israel by coming out every day and making fun of them and calling upon someone to come and fight them. And uh, he was defying the children of Israel. He was, making them, he was making them look bad. He was ruining their reputation. He was slandering their good name or actions. Has that ever happened to you? Then listen, the story of David and Goliath applies. It really does. Now, I think quite honestly that, that, that we all have faced something that has been listed here. If we're fearful or discouraged or beat down or slandered or have our reputation trampled, then this story will help you. But quite honestly, it doesn't matter. Whatever your problem is in life that seems greater than you can handle, then the, the story of David and Goliath is a practical story for you to learn from. So then, this morning, uh, now that we've taken time to make the connection, let's contemplate or contemplating the principles. Connecting with the story, now let's con contemplating the principles. Now, uh, you, you say, okay, pastor, get into it. No, before we get to the 12 things, let me make one other point. If this is a story that we can relate to life, think about this. Um, there, were, there were thousands of people in their experience that were defeated believers in Jehovah. And there was only one guy in this story who had it right. I, I, I certainly would hope that's not the case, but I think it's very realistic to say that um, probably in many cases there are a lot more people like the children of Israel than like David. You think that's fair? I mean, you think about this. There's thousands of soldiers here, thousands who have heard this every day, and they've had 40 opportunities Actually, 80 opportunities, twice a day. And I don't think Goliath worried about it being the Sabbath. 
They had plenty of opportunities to do something about this, and no one did. Now, when you think about it that way, it really does make David's faith and his step to take on this giant an amazing thing. He's a young guy. These men have all been in battle for years, and none of them, none of them were willing to do something for God. Now, I, I guess you could be a little discouraged when you read this story and you think about it, because quite honestly, if it's a picture of life, then it would picture the fact that most Christians live a defeated life, and only a few end up living a victorious life. May we be like David. So let's learn from him. What do we see from David's life? Oh, this passage is so full of truths. First thing about a giant killer is a giant killer is obedient. Or you could even put the word principled if you want. A giant killer is principled. Uh, there's so many different ways to describe this, but look if you would in verse 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. First thing we learn about David is that David was obedient. David was doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Hey, listen, truth is, all of us are going to face giants in life. But do you realize that what you're doing today has an impact about what happens when the giant comes? When you have that fearful event, when you have that thing that beats you down, when you have that, that, that struggle in life that seems bigger than life, that seems bigger than you can handle, when those things come, understand this, what you're doing today is going to affect how you're going to respond in that day. There, it is an amazing thing to look at David and his attitude through this whole thing because we see a young man who his father said, hey, here's what, first of all, he was taking care of the sheep. Then we find David being told, hey, you need to go and talk to your brethren and see how they're doing. And he obeys exactly what he's told to do. In fact, it even tells us directly in verse 20, as Jesse had commanded him. He had a heart that was in tune with God. He was obedient to his father's wishes. Now, we're told about David's family, by the way, in verses 12 to 14. He's the youngest. The three eldest were following Saul. They were out at the battle. Uh, we're going to learn about Eliab in a few minutes, who was the oldest, who, by the way, a short time before that in chapter 16 was rejected by God. You know the verse, man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. That was about Eliab. It was. So is it any wonder he's the one criticizing his brother? I, I mean, that's something maybe, maybe you've never made the connection before, but that was going on. Now, think about this. You say, okay, David was obedient. That's good. But, but consider this. Back in chapter 16, David had been anointed king of Israel. Samuel had already said, you're going to be king. He had been taken from caring for the sheep. He was anointed with oil, and then he went back to caring for the sheep. I don't know about you, but how many, how many young people do you think in life 
would think that their job of caring for the sheep was too mundane if they had been anointed as the next king. Hey, you're going to be the president of the United States someday. Well, then what am I taking care of sheep for? Seriously, there were a lot of things in David's life that, that could have led him to have this attitude that says, <laughs> yeah, who are you? Dad, who are you to tell me what to do? Come on, I'm the next king. I think we're going to change things around here. I can imagine him with his brothers, you know? Hey, Eliab, you need to go here now because I'm anointed king of Israel. And I'm sure his brothers would have put him in his place, okay? We understand that. But nothing in the Bible indicates this went to David's head. David had just an obedient attitude. By the way, not only did that happen, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, in, uh, let's see, in verses 17 to 20, or toward the end of chapter 16, we find something else happen. Uh, it says in verse 14, this is after David was anointed, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You know why? Because the Spirit of the Lord went and rested on David because he had been anointed the next king. The Spirit leaves Saul. Saul has this evil spirit, and it troubles him to the place where he is disturbed. Man, he was really disturbed. I mean, he tried to kill people, well, David specifically, over this. So while that was all happening, they decided that there was a solution. Good music. Wow, that's another message for another time. Good music would solve the problem. And so they were going to try to find someone who could play instruments real well. Because it's not the words that are important, it's the music that's important. Ooh. Wow, well, the words are important too. But... Saul was disturbed. They wanted to find someone to help. They thought if someone would play an instrument, it would help. And guess, guess who they chose? I've heard this guy, Saul, I've heard this guy playing that really has some tremendous ability. And, uh, and he takes care of sheep for his dad. The guy's name is David. You can read about it in chapter 16. David's called to come and serve the king of Israel. Woohoo. Man. Hey, think think about this. Think if you were if you were called by the White House as a teenager and they said, "We've heard that you play the clarinet well or whatever instrument you played when you were in you were in, We heard you you play the the flute just beautifully. The president would like you to come and play for him. Would you be impressed? Come on, seriously, would you not be in, Wow. He heard of me? He, he wants me to come play? And then you go and play, and he says, I want you to stay as my personal, as my personal private um, instrumentalist all the time. That was going on in chapter 16. And do you know what's interesting about it? We read in chapter 17, right at the start, that David left King Saul and went back to take care of the sheep. Look, he just had this attitude of obedience. Hey, I, I'm not all that important. I just need to do that which is right. And then when uh, his dad asks him to go, he is a principled young man. He is trustworthy. He does what he's supposed to do. And he took care of the little things. And let me tell you something, Christian. You will not be a giant killer if you don't take care of the little things. If you're not in a place where you have the attitude that says, Hey, I am going to obey God in everything he asked me to do now, today, so that when I get to the giant, you know, the, the, facing the giants in life, I'll be ready. 
A lot of times Christians want God to meet their needs when they're facing the giant. Oh, Lord, help me now! When they had real little regard for what God wanted them to do before that. And the reason, or at least one of the reasons, David could say, hey, I'm ready for this, is because David had already been obeying God every step of the way and doing the things God wanted him to do on a regular daily basis. What about you? Are you ready for the giants of life because you're reading the Bible every day? Because you're going to church and you're hearing the Word of God and you're being fed from the Word of God. Are you ready to face the giants of life because you're seeking to be a witness and you're doing the things that you know God has laid out in His Word? You're working on the bitterness in your life and you're working on maybe the smaller things, but you are learning to live a principled life based upon the truth of God's Word no matter how you feel. Look, if you live that way, then you're going to be ready for the giants of life. But if you're not, then don't be surprised if you're like the children of Israel, can't handle this. Because living a principled life prepares you for what's to come. You say, come on, does the Bible really teach that? Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Jesus shared that truth in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. And he, sought to ta and he taught the very same truth that we see exemplified in the life of David. David was prepared for the giants because David lived a principled life. Here's what God expects. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to be an obedient Christian for the glory of God. You know what else I see about a giant killer? Look in chapter 17, now in verse 20. Now, this is rather interesting, and I don't know. It was kind of a sideline. I wasn't really sure I was going to add it, but, you know, I wanted to come up with more intent. No, that really wasn't my goal. Um, but as I was reading through the passage, something stood out in verse 20 that I had never seen before. And I think it is a good point, at least worth, worthy of mention. It says, And David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight. And what did he do? Shouted for the battle. I, I just put it this way. A giant killer is positive. Or maybe you could put it this way. A giant killer is an encourager. You, you know what's great? Before this whole thing ever happened, David was encouraging people to do what God wanted him to do. He was, he was out there cheering for the battle. Now, I got to think, because young guys would be like this, you know, like, this would be cool. Here I have, Dad asked me to actually, you know, he probably would have been real happy, but Dad asked me to go down and see how the battle is going. And, I mean, I, knowing what David did with Goliath, you, you know what he did with Goliath? You know, he cut off his head, and then he carried his head to Jerusalem. You, you do know that. Uh, that's kind of the gruesome part of the story. We don't usually talk about that much. Because he presented Goliath's head to the king. I, I, I love that. Love that part of the story. Okay. I'm not supposed to tell you that part. Right. Make you sick a little bit this morning. All right. But uh, I, I, so I imagine in a sense that maybe David was excited about this prospect. Hey, I'm going to have a chance to go. But you know what David was doing? He was doing what everyone else uh, would have encouraged at that time. One writer put it this way, what was usually done when they were about to make the onset of battle and to animate the soldiers, encourage the soldiers, and to strike terror in the enemy is that they would make a hideous voice or sound and a howling 
Um, and that is what they do. It's kind of like they were hooping and hollering. Woo-hoo! And he was shouting for the battle. Okay? He's going nuts. And he's, he's doing whatever they did. I mean, I don't think it was woohoo, all right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, go get him, all right? Those, those would be things that we would do because we're just not, we, we're not into battling giants or whatever. But they would, they would scream and they would help for the enemy or against the enemy. And it was all to cause fear on the enemy's part and encourage those who are going to battle. So you know what David was doing? He was, he was encouraging people. Now, I don't know if we can really make this, this, this tie, but I think it is worth saying that, um, you know, those who are encouraging others and those who are seeking to help others do what's right uh, are going to be more likely to do right themselves. Uh, so often we get a selfish focus in life and we think only of ourselves, which, by the way, for David to go against Goliath, he couldn't be thinking about himself. And be thinking about someone else. And so I would argue that we really do need to have uh, an attitude and a life that is just one of encouraging others and doing that which is right if we want to expect to fight the giants of life ourselves. Um, so uh, a giant killer is positive. Um, I, I think in the New Testament of a guy by the name of Barnabas, do, do you realize that... Um, the book of Mark was written by a guy who was a failure. He left Paul and uh, Barnabas in the first missionary journey. When they were going to go out the second time, Paul wouldn't take them. And they were so divided about it, Paul said, won't take them. And Barnabas and Paul split up. Barnabas took John Mark, and Mark ended up being used of God to write a, a, one of the Gospels. And later on, Paul could say about John Mark, um, he's profitable to me for the ministry. Do you, do you know why? Because a guy, actually, we don't know his real name. Actually, we do know his real name. Can't remember what it is now. His name was changed to Barnabas, which means consolation, encourager. That was Barnabas, if, that was what they named him as a Christian because that was his focus. And God used him greatly to change people's lives. And I'll tell you, God will use you if you'll learn to be an, uh, an encourager. A giant killer is positive. Number three, a giant killer has proper perspective. In verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw, what they see? It's profound. What does it say? Look in verse 24 again. When, the, when all the men of Israel, and all the men of Israel, when they saw, they saw the man. That's all they could see. All they could see was, here's this big, hulking, I want to say, hairy guy. I don't know if he was. It's just my picture, you know. Just, I mean, you know, kind of muscular like me. So when I picture... Hulking guy, always, you know, I'm not that, so sorry. Um, but that's what they saw, and these were warriors. They saw a big, hairy giant, and they were terrified. All they could see was a man bigger than they were, more talented than they were, stronger than they were, and there's no doubt his appearance was certainly intimidating. 
Look, anyone would have been impressed with his size, his armor, his arrogance. Uh, in verse 33, when Saul talked about him, and, and let me tell you something, um, we already know this, don't we? Uh, who, who, Saul was a pretty big guy himself. He was head and shoulders. Remember, we heard that even this past week. Above the rest of the, the Israelites. He was a big guy. And he said, he said about Goliath, this guy is a warrior. And by the way, he was chicken too. That, that, that was free. But you know what? He saw a mighty warrior. The, the children of Israel saw, saw some huge guy. Um, he was intimidating. Uh, by the way, I've been intimidated before, haven't you? Do you know why some people are defe defeated by the giants of life? Because they're intimidated by the, gi the giants of life. And all the children of Israel, every one of the army, uh, the men in the army, were intimidated by this guy because their perspective was only, here's a big guy, and God didn't see a big guy. He did, or David did. He did see realistically who Goliath was, but he saw something beyond that. He had a different perspective. His perspective about Goliath was, who is this Philistine? That's a lot different than, do you see this man? Do you comprehend the difference in perspective? So what do you who do you think is going to win? Wow, what a problem. He's defying armies of the living God perspective. There are Christians who live a defeated Christian life because the only perspective they have is this is bigger than me. Look at that problem. Rather than there's a God in heaven that's bigger than this. This is keeping me from serving him. And I want none of it. What's your perspective like? A giant killer looks at things in a different light. A giant killer, really, in essence, today, if you want to say it, is someone who takes a look at the word of God and sees every giant that comes their way in light of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible who is bigger than the problem, who is bigger than the difficulty, and the God in heaven who is being mocked by the giant that's trying to keep you from being effective for God. So what is your perspective like? Is your problem bigger than the God you serve? Is the enemy bigger than the God you know? Or do you have a proper perspective on your problems. By the way, something else that's interesting in this story, the king of Israel, who, by the way, should have been the one to go against the giant because he was the biggest guy and he was the leader anyway, but he was unwilling to jump at the task. And you know what he did? He tried to bribe everyone. You say, ah, oh, it didn't happen. Yes, in verse 25, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And that begs the question, was his daughter ugly? I'm sorry, I don't know why I brought that up. But uh, no one would take it. 
No one wanted her. Like, could you imagine being offered, hey, hey, if someone's going to fight this big hairy giant, then <laughs> I, I could imagine his, his daughter was like, okay, who's going to take the challenge? By the way, I don't think David ever got any of those things. He got ripped off in this whole deal. All right, but here's the, the thing. Here's a, here's a king, and here are people that couldn't even be bribed to do it because their perspective was, it's just not worth it. I can't survive. I won't survive. I'm telling you, this is a big problem in Christianity with giants. I don't know how many times I've had people say, well, you know, I've tried before. I just, I just can't win over this sin. Who is God? Look, what is it in your life that's keeping you from serving God? Then is that bigger than God? And the answer to that question is no. But as long as you see it that way, nothing will ever change. Because thousands of men could only see a big, hairy giant. No one was willing to go to battle. Except a little guy who hadn't been in war himself ever. Um, a giant killer, number four, is not affected by people. He's not affected by people. Oh, I, th this is great. All the men of Israel. Do, do you see that in verse 24? And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. So, so how many? Okay. So he said, all the men of Israel. Um, there is only... One guy who isn't. You know why? Because he wasn't controlled by the crowd. Giant killers don't listen to the crowd of people who serve a weak, impotent God. Over and over, people tell the same story of this giant. And, and here's the truth. It seems like they're trying to dissuade David. Like, are you crazy? Have you seen this guy? Are you nuts? Well, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? And, and one after another kept telling him the same thing. Have you seen this giant? Well, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? Have you seen this giant? Who is he to defy the armies of the living God? And this went on and on and on. You say, well, how do we know that? Because the word eventually came to Saul, and you can read through in the story. This had been going on. Numerous people were asking or saying the same thing about what they saw this giant to be, and David kept saying, I don't see what you're seeing, people, and I am not going to allow what everyone else thinks about him control what I think about him. I'm not going to allow what everyone else says about this situation to keep me from serving God. Their words were filled with fear. They speak of the situation as if it's hopeless. And David, every time, keeps giving the same answer. Not bigger than my God. 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 And when he stands before Saul, he's probably tired of it. He says, hey, just tell people they don't need to be afraid. I'll go fight them. Isn't that great? Here's a guy who said, people aren't going to keep me from doing what I should. So the whole crowd, all these mighty men, my brother, all these people are telling me, can't do it. He's too big. This is a huge problem. Man, would you believe it? And he wasn't controlled by the crowd. He didn't cower to critics. He didn't cower to critics. The critic comes out in verse 28. It happened to be his brother, his eldest brother. And he heard when he spake to the men. 
And his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? It's great. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. You're just a naughty boy. I, I, just, I, I love that. It just, it just sounds like something a brother would say, you know? That thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You look, you're, you're just here because you want to see the battle and you want to get it. He didn't cower to critics. The crowd said it couldn't be done. David wasn't changing his thinking. His brother comes up and accuses him of being proud, neglecting his responsibilities, and sticking his nose in business he should stay out of. And David says, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm standing up for a right cause. And I love that answer, don't you? Uh, and think about these accusations. He is proud. He was neglecting his responsibility. By the way, go back, if you would, and look at verse, um, and ver at verse 20. And notice this. God spent time telling us in verse 20 something we needed to know because he knew what Eliab would say a little bit later on. So you know what he tells us? He says, and uh, David arose early in the morning, which, by the way, um, immediate obedience, and he, what, left the sheep with the keeper. Because God didn't want us to think, well, maybe Eliab was right. So he just gives us this little line to say, David is doing right, Eliab is wrong. And so David was not going to be a coward to his critics. He wasn't dissuaded by doubters. In verse 33, the king doubted. Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Who are you, man? I'm the king. I'm head and shoulders above everyone, and I'm telling you, you can't do it. So he, he isn't dissuaded by doubters. So the critics say you can't, you can't do it and, and criticize you for trying to do it or saying that you're willing to do it. Then you have the whole crowd who isn't willing to do it, and you have someone saying you can't do it. Is there anyone going to cheer him on? Nope. I don't know what the children of Israel like when Saul finally you know, says, yeah, go ahead and go. <laughs> I, I, I got to imagine they're all thinking, yeah, this one's going to be over quick. So here are all these people saying, you can't do it, you can't win. Uh, by the way, he wasn't intimidated by the enemy either. I love verses 43 and 44. The Philistine, he made fun of David. Am I a dog? You come to me with, with sticks. You're coming to me with sticks. You beat a dog with a stick to keep it back. And that's what you're bringing out to me. Look at this kid. <laughs> ah, you got to be kidding me. What, you, you think I'm a dog, people? I don't even think he was talking to David at that point. You, you're bringing this seriously. And David wasn't intimidated. In fact, you, you, you look at the next, you look at the next, verse 46, and you see a guy that just like, it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished. My God is going to give you into my hand and everyone's going to know there's a God in Israel. Um, hey, listen. There are enough Christians that aren't serving God and discouraging people from serving God that when you face the giants of life, you're going to probably hear stories. But God is bigger. And it doesn't matter what the crowd 
says. It doesn't matter who doubts. It doesn't matter what the critics say. What matters is that there's a giant that needs to be killed for the glory of God. And if you'll face it, you can win. And these are just a few of the lessons that God teaches us from the life of David about how to be a giant killer. Are they things you needed to hear? Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone says. It doesn't matter what happens in life. If you will be an obedient Christian today, doing the things that that you're supposed to be doing, if you'll be an encourager today, if you'll keep the perspective that my God is bigger than the problem, and if you will not allow people to control you, then you'll be in a place and you'll be ready when the giants come. They're going to come. Things that you fear, things that beat you down, things that discourage you, they're going to come. But they don't have to win. It all depends on what you're doing and where you're at. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Did God challenge you from the life 